0: Again, the site is patreon.com slash Wheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. Natural feed. A pond with a deep zone hardly ever freezes completely, which reduces stress for animals and plants, and thereby boosts natural food production. Fish only require additional feed when kept intensively, something I do not recommend. Naturally kept fish taste much better anyway. The quality of the water also influences the quality of the fish. When the water smells bad, so does the fish. A lake in a natural shape Allows water movement and regenerates itself, as described in detail on page 73. All right. And then there's this this fascinating little practical tip in the purple box, mosquito trap. Hang a light bulb, ideally a solar one, over a pond at night. It will attract lots of mosquitoes, that, in turn, will attract fish. You can create a shallow zone underneath it by putting some rocks in the water. Then, only the young fish can swim there and catch the mosquitoes and flies. A simple way of providing food for the fish and to reduce the mosquito population at the same time. I love how simple that is. And and I I also love that while I think I've studied this topic pretty thoroughly and I know of a lot of little fun tricks, I have never heard of that trick before. All right, any any comments about growth control or natural feed?
1: I have a quick story. Um, we sometimes will get like a termite swarm. <laughs> Um, when the season first warms up every year, it, it gets a little warmer and a little cooler, a little warmer. So there's a little, a little change and you can notice it. And when that happens, if there's termites in the area, that you'll have this, this swarm of termites wanting to come into your house. So you close all the doors and windows, make sure they can't get in. But you can also put a light, like a strong work light or anything outside and all the frogs will come over and come in a in circle around the light and they will just be eating and eating and eating the termites. It's kind of amazing to watch. So it's a little similar, and the trick works in, in lots of circumstances. Uh,
0: I I think uh, um, Katie, because you're in Hawaii, I I think that uh, it might be fun one of these days to record a podcast just about Hawaii. I know that um, I I've uh, we've had some people here from Hawaii, and they've shared their stories of gardening in Hawaii, and then um, there are other stories about just living in Hawaii and i i kind of feel like uh um, i mean some people get dreamy about the idea of living in Hawaii and i and i kind of feel like oh no there's it's not all upsides i think there's some powerful downsides you should be aware of before you go there and i think i've heard that a lot of people like move to Hawaii and then before a year is up they move back um yeah and so true. it would be good, it might be good to, to share all those little bits and bobs so that when people get there, they know what they're getting into. Um, so that would be a, I think that would be a fun podcast one of these days. We'll have to do that.
1: Oh, that would be fun. Uh, the, the mighty, the glorious, the amazing step holster. When he says mosquitoes, does he mean just sort of little bugs in general? I've never known a mosquito to go towards light.
0: Well, um, mosquitoes are famous. I mean, there's a, there's a, a contraption here in the states that's very popular. It's that, uh, thing that's the, the, the bug zapper. It's got that blue light and then, uh, you know, the, the mosquitoes go to it and they pop.
1: Yeah, but I got one of those and you have to put a little mosquito pack at the bottom or the mosquitoes don't come over.
0: Oh, so it's just other bugs that come.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that if you, if you put that outside, the frogs like to go under there and eat the crispy ones.
0: <laughs> so um, I think that's a possibility. Uh, maybe, maybe if Sep were to observe a little closer, you would see that it's not so much mosquitoes. I would have to say that, uh, I mean here, uh, both of you have been here, ha- and you're both, both of you were here, no wait. I think Oakland, when you were here, it was fall and it was fairly yeah. cold, and so not exactly mosquito season. No, but Katie, you were here in mosquito season. And so, how many mosquito yeah. bites so, did you get?
1: None, and I am a mosquito magnet. I get all the bites.
0: And so, you uh, must have been putting all that mosquito pucky on every day.
1: Not at all. Not a bit. <laughs> I don't even do it here.
0: I just wear yeah, lots of clothes, just, and everyone's frozen. <laughs> We just don't have mosquitoes, and uh, I mean they're they're here, but it's like uh, I I don't know. People working outside all day, they might end up with two mosquito bites for the whole summer. That's that might be it. Wow, you
1: don't have a lot of standing water going on
0: yet. We're, 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 we'll install some soon. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I, I must be wrong because this is Seth Holster, and he he knows what he's talking about. But if
2: it's a translation error, he can't be blamed right we gave him it out <laughs> I do have a porch light and I have never seen a mosquito hanging out on the porch light and I have a fascinating variety of moths and other winged creatures that that like that area so I I'd say it's a translation not yeah not specific
0: okay. to mosquitoes so you yeah, got lots of insects but but you're right I I've, I've I, to me the the thing when I think of like what captures mosquitoes, I think of the Dan Rojas video um where he had a box fan, or was it even more powerful than that It was um a big uh a, a big fan, and of course Oakland's already got the images up, and then he puts like a screen on the fan it's a very oh. powerful fan. Oh. And then, like, he gets a quart of mosquitoes off of it every night. That just, I believe. It's just crazy wow. the amount of mosquitoes okay. he gets. Um,
1: I have actually. Oh.
0: What's that, Katie?
1: Speaking of Hawaii stories, I have actually seen a mosquito land on and apparently bite a mango. So they seem to also like fruit. <laughs>
0: Oh, all right then. Um, okay, I so yeah, we don't have a lot of mosquitoes here, but of course, you know, and I and I do think, I mean, there is, I gotta say that we, there is there is a BB about controlling mosquitoes, and I think we've got like fifteen hours, maybe even twenty hours, uh, wrapped up in in that. And I think we came up with some really good stuff that's – because we kind of kept coming into these spaces of like what are short-term solutions, but we kind of felt like permaculture is about really long-term solutions. Like what are things that you can do uh to control mosquitoes that lasts for years, you know, uh, instead of something – um that's that's like uh uh just this one time. I'm gonna do this one thing one time and then I'm all done. So things that are gonna be more like bird habitat, toad habitat, um, uh you know uh resolving things about standing water in different ways, uh stuff like that. So um, all right, I'm gonna move along to temperature. Heat requirements vary from fish to fish. Brown trout cannot tolerate temperatures above 22 to 23 degrees Celsius. And 25 degrees is the upper limit for rainbow trout. Carp, on the other hand, just start feeling comfortable at these temperatures. Fish need more oxygen in warm water. I thought that was kind of interesting. But at the same time, I would imagine that the fish would be more active in warm water. I I get the impression that when fish, like fish kind of hibernate in the winter, they go to where the cold water is, and there's not a lot of oxygen in the cold water. But they also sort of hibernate yet remain moving through the winter. And they they continue to have water pass through their gills. Um, That's my understanding of hibernating fish. Reproduction and fish kindergartens. I do not need to worry about fish reproduction in a naturally built lake. All I need to do is to ensure that there are enough sheltered spots for spawning. In order to protect the offspring, I create Fish kindergartens by placing rocks, trees, or scrub in the shallow zones that create a safe play, a safe space for the young fish to mature. These provide plenty of food and the predatory fish cannot get in. Various fish have different needs for spawning grounds. Pike spawn next to the grass by the bank. Xander spawn in deep or shallow zones, usually next to roots. You can help them by building nests for them. I tie fine roots to twigs and branches and hang them one to two meters deep in the pond. Trout need shallow zones with running water and a bed of gravel or sand. They travel up to the inflow of the lake and create little hollows with their fins in which they leave their eggs. These are then immediately fertilized by the male trout, and the hollows are closed off again. The hollow needs constant flowing water, otherwise the eggs go moldy. That is why trout seek the inflow to a lake. The spawn live off their yolk bags until, as youngsters, they can start eating mosquitoes and other small animals. I think another thing to keep in mind is that um, when you have shallow water, and my understanding is is generally shallow standing water, um, there is a microorganism called Daphne which I think is the name of the woman in the Scooby-Doo stuff. Yeah, I could be mistaken. But anyway, this Daphne, um, and these are these small organisms that just thrive like crazy in still, shallow water, and it's like, for a lot of fish, it's half the food that they eat mm. or more this is the Daphne. All right. Any questions about any... uh Anything on pages 84 or 85. The reproduction fish can of natural feed or temperature. Nothing. There's a big section in here on waterfowl, but I kind of feel like um, I, I need to not read too much of the book in. And, and this is a good time to remind people, go buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> um, then there's a section on water buffalo. And he talks about how awesome it is to have water buffalo, then water gardening. Um, then he goes into other economic uses and uh he talks about uh then the tourism uses. Uh I think that there's a lot to be said for tourism and I and I kind of feel like um, in you know when people start talking about making money with permaculture, I kind of feel like um, you would be f- far wiser to do tourism than most of the uh, poverty stuff that most people explore doing. And then he goes into this fascinating thing, which I kind of feel like the images here might not be fully correct. The ring water feeder... A model for supplying cities and communities with living water. And so I had to read this a couple of times and I'm still not certain I fully understand it. But it sounds like the idea is, is that in every home, there's water that, that is, that is flowing 24 seven. So, like, and I'm not, like, I want to use the example of a kitchen sink, but I think think based on what I'm reading here, I think a kitchen sink wouldn't work. And so the idea is, is that the water is always flowing. So the water comes out of the sink and it's always running. Hmm. Only I think that there has to be, like, two basins, one that's the – the clean basin, and one that's the dirty basin.
2: I had a slightly different interpretation. Okay. So um, there, there's a diagram that shows it goes from the well up to a big containment, and the water runs in this big circle and down to a another a second containment that's like 40 meters lower in elevation. And right. as the water gets to the faucet, there's a a pipe. It's sort of a T, so instead of the water going to the faucet and it's either on or it's off, there's a T and water can either go out the faucet if you turn it on or follow the T back into the ring of water that's circulating.
0: So it would be exactly the same as the water system is now, only instead of the water going one way into the system on the far end of the system we would collect that water back up and move it move it back up into like i don't know like there's a water tower we would recirculate it we would keep it moving
2: yeah and so the the water in the the second basin he calls it is lower in elevation and that gets pumped or can get pumped back up to the upper basin, or flow out into a pond. So there's always fresh water entering the system from the well. Wow. Maybe not 24-7, but, for example, um, one of the wells I'm familiar with, it's turned on for, like, one minute or two minutes every 15 so that the water is flowing into the cistern, Regularly to keep some of that movement that steps trying to gain by the system. Um, and but this this section I found really fascinating, and I I read it three or four times just because I was like, wow, how do we do this? Because it's three pages long, and that's like, wow, that's healthy living, real water that hasn't been tampered with that's coming into every home on the system. And I just found that really encouraging that somebody had like figured out how to do it.
0: So now I'm kind of rereading a piece of it and and he's saying that it's like, okay, let's say there's water going into a house, that same house would also have water like like clean water coming back out. To continue in the system. Yeah. And it's like, um, I, I originally thought that what he was saying is, is like there would be a water feature in the house where the water would come out of the pipe mm-hmm. and then it would wiggle its ass at people and then go back into the system. But I'm, I'm, this one little bit that I'm reading, it kind of sounds like, No, no, no. It all stays in the pipe the whole time. And it's just that rather than the the water going up to the house, and if no one's using water right now, the water just sits in the pipes and waits, that instead of that, there's um, two pipes going to the house, one that puts the water in, and then the water does a lap around the house, and then comes back out. And so the water is constantly flowing through the house. And if nobody uses it, it just goes, the amount of water that comes out the out pipe is exactly the same as the amount of water going in the in pipe. But if somebody uses it, then less water comes out the out pipe. I think that's what's being composed here.
2: That's what I read, and so there's, there's the clean water outpipe, and then there's the dirty water outpipe, which we're all used to of our sink drain.
0: Okay. And that could be a gray water system or something. Yes. Which, by the way, I, I think that the, uh, the gray water says, the gray water and willow feeder stuff, that is a, a pep, the whole pep program for that, I think, turned out really amazing, and I kind of feel like anybody would ever look at that. Um, I, I think, uh, I think it's very powerful, and I have so much to say about that, but that's another podcast for another day. Um, all right. So um, he's basically saying, rather than having water get to your house into the pipes. And then it just sits there. So, like, if you're gone for the day, and then you come back and you go get a glass of water, the glass of water that you're getting has been sitting in the pipes for all day. And he's saying, ew, no, no, don't, 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 don't drink that. No. Instead, what what he wants you to do is to have water that goes through the house constantly and then when you go to get a glass of water, whatever water you're getting is, it's like, um, it's its probably no more than a few minutes old. Even if yeah. you live in a city. And it's like it's been, and, and in fact, uh, ten seconds ago, the water in your glass, ten seconds ago, it was moving. It was living. All right then on, on page 90, he's got a picture of uh, these two vessels, these two clay vessels. Many drinking this vessels, like these in Spain, are egg-shaped. This allows best water movement. I'm not sure how, how he's thinking that they're moving inside of there. Every
2: time you pick it up, like, the water's able to move around and interact with itself, whereas if there's square edges, there's still areas that don't move or get less movement.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things is getting uh, pretty clear. In fact, uh, basin construction, water is a living being. The basins should not have corners or dead zones because the water would not move in these and would start to decay. Egg or calabash shapes are best. What's a calabash? Shape? Want to look sort of that like up?
2: the image I have on the screen. And it's a bit of an egg shape with the pointy end down. And the pointed part is cut off so it'll sit there stable.
0: Okay. All right. All right. Egg, egg. Uh, the egg shape also offers the highest stability and prevents problems with statics. Right. So these. So now you're you're scrolling past a bunch of images that are kind of egg shaped. Yeah, egg shaped clay water vessels. What you're for. Okay. Um, one big mistake is often made. People put electricity, internet, or phone cables in the same trench as the water pipe. This is very dangerous. And I think, I think he's not even talking, I mean, he does go on to mention a moment later, like, electricity and water don't mix really well. You know, like, if the water got out and got on your electricity, that could be a bad day. But, I think what he's trying to say is, is that, because uh, he goes on to say water carries information. And so he's trying to say that this other, like the electricity and then the other, the wires, those, those other things, they're going to screw up the information that's in the water. And so that is bad. Don't do that. It is important to remember that each household needs an incoming and an outgoing pipe for fresh water, and a drain pipe for the used water. This will keep the water alive and fresh at all times, and nothing else is needed to treat the water. And that concludes Chapter 2.
2: So I have a question on page 90. So I'll read the paragraph. It says, Basin 1 has an overflow connected to a pond, so the basin that's at a higher elevation. Water which is not needed is fed into the pond. The delivery of the well, however, is so strong that the water from basin 2 is not needed as basin 2 will need the overflow. I'm sort of wondering if they got confused about which basin they were referring to there.
0: Maybe it's part Uh, of the diagram where the words are so small you can't read it.
2: And I think they're not in English.
0: Oh, So it doesn't matter. You can't read it. You would just, you would just be annoyed. Okay. Basin one has an overflow connected to a pond. All right. Water which is not needed is fed into the pond. The delivery of the well, however, is so strong that the water from basin two is not needed, as basin two would. Yeah, I'm gonna say probably a typo.
2: Okay. Because in the first drawing on page 89, it shows that the overflow from basin 2 can be pumped up to basin, back up in elevation to basin 1.
0: Yeah. Right. Okay. And he mentions in the text how it would be preferable if that was like solar or wind-powered pumping. Any other comments about all of Chapter 2?
2: There's just a lot of great stuff in this book, and we've read about 90 pages so far, and I'd say it's really worth getting your hands on a copy of this book. I know it may not be in print right now, and may be hard to get your hands on, but go buy the book. Go
0: buy the book. I wonder if the book is available in England. Like, can you go and buy it from England, and then you have to pay like some kind of crazy amount of shipping to get it? So, like, you know, um, wow. I know that it's it's permanent publications, so surely the permanent publications themselves sells it, right? I mean, you could buy There's it. There's a directly.
2: copy. There's a copy for hundred and five dollars used
0: <laughs> online. Yeah, I know.
2: You could
1: sell your paper copy for $100 and then buy like four or five <laughs> copies of the digital version.
0: My, uh, I had, I had two copies of Sepulchre's Permaculture and, uh, they're both gone now. And so I, uh, went online and thought I'm gonna, because basically how, uh, it goes like this. If somebody is here and they want to borrow it, oh look at that. See, it's 16 pounds, right?
2: And out of print.
0: Out of print. Oh, bummer. Okay. Um, so then uh, uh, somebody comes and they say, can I, can I look at that? And I say, sure, just don't let it leave the building. And then uh, I had two copies. They're both gone now. And then somebody said, "Can I? don't you have Sepulchers just permaculture? And I would say, I used to. Because <laughs> they're like, I want to look at it. And it's kind of like, I bet you do. It's a good book. <laughs> it's, 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 I don't have it anymore. And so I went online to go look at it and it's like it was $30. Um, and I think the price has come down a little bit since then, but I'm kind of, and I also uh, tried contacting Chelsea Green to ask them, like, what if I bought 24 copies? I just had a pile of copies and, uh, and they were like still gonna be like 20 bucks a copy or something like that. And I kind of thought, yeah, I'll just, I'll just let it go. I'm just, There's know, one I'm, copy
2: for ten bucks.
0: Apparently.
2: Yeah, if it's really legit.
0: Yeah, I mean, isn't that what Mark was talking about last time? He would order it, and then after a couple weeks, get a full refund because of whatever.
2: Right. Oh look, see people also
0: search for that guy. Do you see that over there, lower right-hand corner? <laughs> you search for, yes
1: would you say that it would be a good gift if people were to send you copies of Seth's book so that when people come you would have giveaway copies or lend away copies
0: um I, I i feel so strongly about the book that i like the idea of there being books i mean part of it was is what is i mean it, we had a bunch of people that were here for Christmas, and I believe that I was awesome as a gift giver at Christmas. Um, and then, you know, we did talk about our half-assed holidays. We had magnificent half-assed holidays. Um, but one of the things that I thought of doing was giving everybody a copy of the book, since we didn't have any copies at all here. And I thought, well, maybe I could get 24 copies, and each Christmas I could give people a copy of the book. And, but we'll always have a copy standing by, and then, um, if somebody steals a copy of my book, then, um, uh, you know, I'll have a few more as backup. I mean, I do kind of feel like, I mean, when I, when we do these page by page book reviews, I mark the book up a lot. I mean, I draw right in the book, and, um, And I kind of feel like when I go back and look at the book, I'm glad that I drew in it because then I can remember to find what I'm looking for. It's the stuff that I, that I marked up. And, uh, so I'm kind of a little pissy that somebody took away my copy that I marked up for doing the, the book review, you know? That is Um, a bummer.
1: (laughs) It sounds like it's that you're saying that people should send you copies of these books because then you could hide away your private collection and have some borrowing copies in the in the other room.
0: I I yeah we've got the library which has tons of books in it. I uh, really love the idea of the of the library getting more and more books. Um, and uh and I would like it and then I've got like one copy of several books in my library that are all books I bought. I don't have everything, but I do get people who send me some stuff. So I have both of Mark Shepard's books, and they were uh, both sent to me by uh, two different people. And in both cases, they are hoping that I'm going to do this chapter-by-chapter review for Mark's books. And um, I, I kind of like the idea of doing that. And um, uh, especially his more recent book sounds like, I mean, only just based on the title, I'm, like, excited to read it. Uh, Water for Every Farm. Um, uh, you know, I, I really like the idea of, uh, the permaculture technology jamboree, which by the way, one of the things we're going to do here is we're going to make a spring terrace, a sepulcher spring terrace here. And not only are we going to make a sepulcher spring terrace, but the guy that's leading it is Alan Booker. And so it's like, you know, it isn't going to be some half-assed spring terrace. That's so that's, exciting. Yeah. And that's part of the PDJ, but I kind of feel like if the PDJ does well this year, then, um, I, I kind of like the idea that, uh, sometime in the future, we do something that's instead of a two week long PDJ to do something that's more like, uh, a four week long PDJ and instead of 10 tracks, maybe it'll be like 12 or 14 tracks and that the big projects will be things like natural swimming pools. And, we'll, and, and we'll do a lot more stuff with how to generate water on the farm, like the spring terraces, like, like the humus wells, like the air wells. And, um, and then it's also like, let's see if we can create a Creek, like make a, make a creek appear where there's never been a creek before using uh um, all the techniques uh that we have at our disposal and i mean like i could i could fill a few podcasts just talking about the ideas i have about an event like this um there's so much to talk about uh um and but anyway i, I kind of feel like what I would really, really like, and that's another thing, too, is I feel like the PDJ, we need two more instructors still. And, and the idea is that we'd like to have an instructor come in and, and cover three days' worth of builds, and we'll give them a free ticket to the, all the rest of the event in exchange. And it's kind of like our chance to kind of get to know instructors and see, see how we like them, see if they're a good fit for us. Because we've had some instructors here where it's like, this this didn't work out. And so we just don't work with them again. And I feel like that's kind of how it has to be. you got to bring people in and try it out and see how it goes. Um, and if it's good, then then keep having them come back, and we'll do more and more and more. Um, and at the same time, we have a lot of old favorites coming back that are going to teach big chunks of this event. So you know the, the reliable folk um, I, I think I mean one of the things that we're talking about here is that uh, two of the boots are going to be leading the build for the Solarian project and so um, uh, I I'm Dave that we talk about it all the time now because you know this will be their first big build of this of this sort and so but I kind of feel like with the PDJ I love the idea that we can have, some builds going on that are led by um, experts in the field and other builds going on that are maybe not experts, but they're up there a ways, you know. I, I think that we have a lot of pretty strong in-house expertise at this point on some topics. And so um, I'm, I'm just kind of feeling like it'll be great. But we've got we to gotta have a, a magnificent event this year. So we've got a few more tickets available for sale, and we could use a couple more instructors because there's a lot of instructors to pull off an event like this.
2: Paul, but, yeah. I'm curious if water you stuff and
0: teachers. Go ahead, Opalyn. Go ahead.
2: Um, are there specific tracks that need instructors so that people could think about, "Hey, that really fits me" or "doesn't fit me"? That you might share.
0: I, I do believe that right now, um, like, I think I'm meeting with Lara later today to talk about how do we find an instructor for the pavilion. And so it's a roundwood timber framing project. Um, and basically, we've had some, uh, we had everybody lined up for last year, but then, of course, you know, coronavirus stuff. And then, uh, and most of those people just copied and pasted over to this year. And, um, uh, but some people it's like, uh, this thing happened and now I can't come. And some people it's like it has to do with virus. Uh, one has to do with having a baby right at the same time. So don't think it's good for me to be there for that. Um, and, uh, little bits and bobs. It's, uh, human stuff. Um, so, uh, I think, I think Lara's come up to speed really great as an event coordinator. Um, and, uh, and it's kind of like, all right, so the pavilion, some roundwood timber framing. For a while, I thought we had a line on somebody, but I, I, I that sounds like it's, it's probably not going to happen. So we need to, that person's a, maybe a plan C. We need to find a plan A person. So roundwood timber framing would be great. Um, uh, but mostly we need somebody who's going to just own a project and see it through to the end. And uh, uh, we can help fill in some of the gaps with our in-house expertise on this one. So um, just show up a few days early, and we'll we'll get all the details ironed out. We'll make sure all the materials are lined up, and go from there. I mean, we still need a good, strong design for the pavilion project. But um, so that's an example of one of the projects where we—I know—we need to have an instructor so yeah um i I kind of somebody with redwood timber ex, uh, expertise would be best and uh not, but it's even more than that you gotta you gotta at least have some understanding of our values, like we don't use plywood we we use like less than one percent of the glue and paint that other builds would have um You know, I don't know, there's a lot of things we just, we prefer using wood from our land. I think that there could be other things put in, too. Like, I don't think there's anything in the PDJ about the sawmill. But I kind of feel like, wouldn't everybody kind of like to give a few minutes on the sawmill? Like, maybe even an hour? Um, Just to kind of see what it's like? That'd be cool. Yeah. So, and um, I think I should say that, you know, since the Kickstarter is doing quite well, um, then uh, I think, you know, because we subsidize our events uh, with with funds from the Kickstarter.
2: Oh, wait, it went up a little bit again. <laughs> yes, it did.
0: Um, and I got to say that with the Kickstarter, I have this massive collection of feelings about it. Um, on the one end of the spectrum, I'm so glad. That we got funded at all, so the book is going to exist. And then I'm so glad that we got funded so fast—like in an hour and a half we were funded—and I- I'm so glad about that. And uh, and that it just kind of kept going up and up and up. And then and then in the early part we just kept knocking out like a new stretch goal every few hours. That was so exciting, so glad. But I'm so glad about how far we've come. And then, of course, you know, as with everybody running a Kickstarter or any author ever, it's kind of like, well, where am I falling short? Because there's other Kickstarters that bring in like $10 million, you know. Um, uh, now, granted, this Kickstarter is doing better than any of my previous Kickstarters, which is awesome, which is such an exciting feeling, such a good feeling. And at the same time, I, I think the, I think it's pretty clear we're, we're not going to be a million dollar Kickstarter. And, uh, and I, you know, I kind of feel like, well, you know, how am I falling short? What am I doing wrong? What could I do better to be a million dollar Kickstarter? So, but that's mixed in with all of the stuff about how glad I am that we're funded at all. <laughs> so, um, I'm, I, I just feel like this is a big warm message. Uh, where people are voting with their dollars to say that they believe in this program, I'm I'm so ex- I'm I'm so excited about it. I, I feel I feel like Skip is going to be huge, and so I'm I'm so glad that other people feel that way also. All right, I think I'm ready to wrap this up. Anything awesome. else? Any other bits and bobs?
2: Nothing here. I think it's good.
0: Thanks, Paul. Okay. All. If you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at Permes.com where we talk about the mighty, the glorious, the amazing, sufficient. Homesteading and permaculture. All the time.
2: All the time.
0: Don't forget, go out to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton and make a pledge for future
2: artifacts.